BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Spring deals at Ross will have you saying, it's a yes for me. Say yes to trending looks like tube tops, dad shorts, and miniskirts for less than online, or vintage tees and beach shorts for a weekend getaway. With all the styles to choose from, there's a yes around every corner. Because saving money and looking good is what you do. It's a yes for you and your bank account. Hit up Ross for your certified yes for me moment. If I'm worrying, then I'm I'm living in my earthly family conditioning and I'm not living in my new family conditioning. And that's probably because I was being lazy and I just didn't want to put the energy into getting into God's word and getting God's word into me. Because mm-hmm. you don't fight these negative thoughts by, you know, putting on boxing gloves and punching them out. You fight them just by putting the right thoughts in your mind and dwelling on things that are true. And so feed what you will, but just remember what you feed is going to grow and what you starve is going to ultimately die. Mm-hmm. And I say we get about, feeding these good thoughts and feeding our mind good thoughts and letting these other things starve a little bit. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Hey, Pastor Louie, welcome to She. Oh, it's so great to be on with you. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. It's great to have you. I am so looking forward to this conversation. But before we dive into all the questions that I have, I'd love if you can just start by sharing a little of your background and what you do for those who may not be familiar with you. Yeah, so I'm a pastor of Passion City Church, and we have locations in Atlanta, Georgia, and Washington, D.C. We're a newer church. We're feels like we're just getting going, but I think we've been going about 12 years now. And all that was born out of Passion Conference and the Passion Conference movement, which has been a gathering for 18 to 25-year-olds. And we've been doing that for over a couple decades now. And it's a movement really that's trying to help a generation live for what matters most. And that is the glory of God. Mm-hmm. We most recently had a big gathering here to kick off the year at Mercedes Benz Stadium mm-hmm. here in Atlanta with about 55,000 18 to 25 year olds, which is absolutely stunning and amazing. One of the most powerful things I've ever been a part of. And so we do a few other things, but that's the heart of it. And passion has been our passion for a long while now. And we just want to make much of the name of Jesus. Yeah. You are a busy guy. You guys are doing a lot of really incredible things. And, you know, just really, I think this speaking to this generation, especially, I think is so important. And I know it can be a challenge to figure out how do you reach them. And I think you guys have really done some, you know, creative and unique ways of of doing that and and really going about that mission. So that is so awesome. I would love to kind of dig into this conversation about winning the battle for your mind. And I know for me personally, this can be a struggle as I'm sure it is for all of us, but you talk a lot about winning the battle of your mind and breaking free from negative thinking. 
And I'm curious, especially in light of what you just shared, why does it matter what we think? And why does the Bible emphasize the importance of our minds and our thoughts? I think especially for the younger generation, we're constantly being fed information and we're, we're seeing all of these things digitally and in advertisements and constantly like filling our, our minds with things. And so I, I think this is such a relevant part of this conversation, especially for this generation. And I would just love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I think it's two things. You know, interestingly, the Bible is filled with encouragement for us about the way we think. Mm-hmm. And all that happened uh, way before there was, you know, any of the things that are bombarding us every day in present time. So apparently this has been a struggle from the drop. And even on the very first page of scripture, you see God's beautiful creation and immediately Adam and Eve come into the story and there's a battle. And that battle is in Adam and Eve's minds. Mm. Uh, The enemy plants a thought in their mind that God isn't trustworthy and that he isn't good. And they, you know, they simmer on that for a while. We don't know how long. And then they take a step. And that step obviously started an avalanche that all of us are still digging out from under by the grace of God. We're saved, but the collateral is everywhere. And the enemy hasn't changed his tactics from that day to this day. He starts us down a road with a thought. And so that's why it's important. The second reason it's important is because God's word said, as a man thinks in his heart or on the sheep podcast, as a woman thinks in her heart, so is she. So we ultimately become the product of the thoughts that we host in our minds. And if we think negative thoughts about ourselves, we ultimately turn into that negative person and have that negative outcome in our life. And if we think true thoughts, good thoughts, right thoughts about ourselves, then we actually become what we think and we become the true person, the good person, the person that God is desiring for us to be. So it all starts in the mind and we focus a lot on what we do and our actions and that's important, but we do what we think. And so we've got to start with what do we think, because that's ultimately going to determine what we do. You know, I was speaking with my counselor several months ago, and it was actually about a year and a half ago now. Well, time flies. <laughs> and she said something to me that really resonated. And I'm curious if you've, ever, if you've ever heard this. She said, be careful how often or how many times you think about something or think something. It only takes 200 thoughts to become a belief. Wow. She shared that because I had been sharing some lies I was wrestling with. And it was kind of one of those things where it's like, I know it's a lie, but the, the thought keeps coming up. Right. And she, she put it to me that way. And it just reminded me like, man, the frequency of and you know how often we allow ourselves to kind of go down the rabbit trail and not necessarily take the the thoughts captive and not necessarily stop them in their tracks only 200 times of doing that it only takes 200 times for it to become a belief and that sounds like a lot but then if you think about it if you have the same thought or you are kind of getting in this pattern of negative thinking multiple times a day that's only you know a handful of weeks or months before this is solidified not just as a thought that's passing through your mind, but it actually becomes a belief in your heart. And that's, she kind of dug into how once it gets there, it's so much harder to uproot and get out. And it just reminded me of what you're saying. Like it all starts there. And it's so crazy how quickly our thoughts can then become beliefs, which then can become like reality and what we see, like it it shifts our whole perspective of ourselves, of God and of the world around us. Wow. That's so powerful. I was uh, doing a interview after uh, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table came out with Dr. Caroline Leaf. And Mm -hmm. she uh, was mentioning to me the same thing from the neurological side. And she said that if we think a thought uh, consistently for 66 days, that that thought becomes a neural pathway or creates a neural pathway in our mind. In other words, when we're thinking these thoughts that become beliefs, 
they're actually creating channels in our brain. We're creating roads. We're building roads in our, in our minds. And I think that, you know, starts as a little footpath. I think all of us have seen this. And then that footpath kind of gets worn and you see, oh, yeah, there's a path here. There always has been. The grass is gone. And then, you know, eventually if we continue to post that thought, then we're paving that path now. And now we've got a two lane freeway and now we have a, a highway and i think that people don't understand that we have we are the director of our thinking and therefore the most wonderful thing of what you just said to me is that means if i think a positive thought 200 times i can create a positive belief and so that's ultimately where we're going to go in this conversation i guess and that's you know yes we have stopped thinking the wrong thing 200 times mm-hmm. but what an incredible thought that mm-hmm. if we think the right thing 200 times, then we create a new belief or a new highway in our minds that's going to take us to where God wants us to be. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've you know, it's funny because I've actually never really thought of it in the reverse sense because of the context in which it was shared with me, but that's so true. It's like, it's true the opposite way, which is actually kind of exciting, not discouraging. So I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. I love that. Speaking of that, you talk about nine words that can change your life. Can you share what those are? Yeah, so that's the title of the book that I mentioned before. And the nine words are, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And this was uh, real life for me. A few years back, I was going through a really challenging season. And after a few months, I heard some news like we do often. You're not going to believe what I just heard. And the news I heard kind of vindicated me in a little tiny way. And I was being so petty, but I was celebrating the vindication. And I knew that a friend who had really had my back through the whole thing was really going to love to share in the celebration and commiserate with me a little bit more. So I texted this person, you're not going to believe this, and texted sort of the version of the phone call that I just had. And I waited and waited and waited because I wanted to know, okay, hit me back and tell me that you're going to you know, commiserate with me and celebrate this small victory. And all I got back from this friend were those nine words, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And I, w- I can tell you right where I was the moment that text came, and it shot through me like a bolt of lightning. And I realized, Jordan, in a heartbeat that for months and months and months going through this situation and now after it, I had just been hosting a lot of negativity and a lot of, I was harboring a lot of resentment and a lot of control. And I was staying awake at night, managing all these outcomes in my mind and wanting to prove to everybody my point. And the whole time, all I had done was just give the enemy, the devil, a seat in my mind, a place in my thinking. And I decided standing there in my driveway that I this, this is over. I am kicking him out of my table and I'm taking back my thinking because I'm in a conversation right now with a killer. And his mission in my life is simply to steal, kill and destroy. And I'm letting him sit down at my table and I'm actually welcoming his ideas and thoughts. And I'm repeating them back to everybody I'm talking to right now. And that day, a big shift happened in my life. And I would say on the weekly, 
those nine words are still uh, freedom for me, helping me through some other process where the enemy is trying to get a foothold in my thinking. And it's not as simple as just saying nine words. Obviously, that's why I wrote a whole book about it. But it starts a process of realizing, man, the enemy can get to our table really fast, the table that God has prepared before us and the presence of our enemies. The enemy can get a seat at that table if we let him. Yeah. I it's so interesting because I think like you said when you are so focused on putting out fires or dealing with a challenge in your life or something that seems really unfair or all of the above sometimes we don't even recognize that we are giving us the enemy a seat at our table through our thoughts and the and what we're repeating and believing and thinking and sometimes it takes somebody else to point it out and help us recognize that as what as you shared with, with what your friend did but i'd be curious what you know what your thoughts are on well not only what does it mean that like if the enemy is sitting at your table but also how do you know when this is happening like if you don't have a friend who you know that happens to notice it for you or mention it in a text or like kind of point it out is there anything we can watch for or or be aware of so that we can start to recognize, am I giving the enemy a seat at my table right now? Like, are all these emotions or is my reaction right now? Like, have I been giving room to the enemy and not even realizing it? Well, I think for me, I'm going to repeat what I'm hearing and I'm going to reflect and mirror what I'm seeing. And so, for example, how would I know that the enemy was at my table? Well, I'm going through a challenge, but we we all go through challenges. They're real. Shelly and I, my wife and I are going through a big one with her family right now, a, a life shaking challenge and, and it's hard. And we all face situations like that. And we'll go to coffee with a friend and the friend will say, how are you doing? And we'll say, man, it's really tough right now. I don't know if I'm going to make it. And that's just, you know, kind of like normal speak. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. I don't know if I'm going to get through this semester, through this mediation, through this, this deal at work. And at the end of the day, there's nowhere in scripture where God says to me, Louie, I don't know if you're going to make it. And there's nowhere. He's never uttered the words, not never in the history and eternity <laughs> has God uttered the words. I don't know if I'm going to make it. And so if I'm sitting with him, I'm in the same hard situation. I'm in the same predicament, the same pain, mm -hmm. but I'm sitting with someone who is never, ever had a thought that he's not going to make it. Mm -hmm. And he's not telling me that I'm not going to make it. He's saying, Lou, even if we go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to be with you. Mm -hmm. And that key word in that verse is through. We're going through the valley of the shadow of death. We're not just going to it. We're going through it. Mm -hmm. And that's what my shepherd tells me. And so if I'm saying I'm not going to make it, I, I must have heard that somewhere. And where did I hear it? I heard it from the enemy who just pulls his chair up and calmly says, bro, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're going to make it through this. Mm -hmm. And then I go, I know. <laughs> and then I repeat back what he just said. Mm -hmm. And then I start telling all my friends what he said. Mm -hmm. And so when whenever the message coming to me or that I'm repeating doesn't match the, the character of God, the word of God, the will and the ways of God, then I know the enemy has got a seat at my table. Uh, it's so tough because, you know, I think even just something as simple as that, I mean, it's a common thing that we've all said or thought or, you know, both. 
and it's so easy to just gloss over. And I'm so thankful that you shared something as practical as as that kind of phrase, because we've all thought that. I don't know if I'm going to get through this. I don't know if this is ever going to end. I don't know if it's ever going to get better. You know, And we are truly regurgitating lies, but from the seat that we sit at, where it appears like it's just continually getting worse or it's not improving or it's you know one thing or another, we don't even sometimes recognize that until someone points out like, hey, that's actually not something God has ever said. And so I love that example just because it is something I think we so commonly say and don't even recognize or realize that we're saying because it's just such a common yeah. thing. Um, yeah. And I think it's important that we give each other the permission to say the first part of that. What I'm going through right now is really, really hard. And so we're not wanting to just, you know, brush that to the side and say, well, I'm, you know, a believer and I have God in my story. So everything's great. I think if we go to coffee and we are in the thick of it and someone says, how are you doing? We need to say, I got to tell you, honestly, I'm in the toughest situation I've ever been in before, but here comes my next line. But you know what? God has brought me through every situation I've faced in my life. That's my story. And I mean, I've been in some deep, dark holes in life and been through some struggles and some battles and some fights and some hardship, but I'm here today because God brought me through. And when the enemy told me that I wasn't going to make it, and he's told me that in every one of these situations, he was lying to me every time because I did make it. And if I can just grab that thought just for a moment, and I'm not talking about trying to be a spiritual superhero. I'm just saying, if I could just grab on and go, you know what? Last time you told me I wasn't going to make it and I did make it. And if I didn't make it, you couldn't be sitting here telling me that I'm not going to make it this time. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make it. And now you got to find another way. (laughs) You can, you can keep trying to trip me up. It's not going to be on. I'm not going to make it. And so I say, I'm going through the hardest time, but I'm also counting on God and I'm remembering that he's brought me through and I believe he's going to bring me through this time. It's still going to be hard, but I believe he's going to bring me through. It's just a subtle shift, but it ends up sending us in a completely different orbit. And I think that's the power of what you mentioned earlier, just taking the thought captive. It's asking the question, where did this thought come from? Does it match God's word? Does it match his heart? Does it match what I know his plans are for my life? Does it match his character? And if it doesn't, then I have to bind that thought in the power of Jesus before the thought binds me. Something's getting bound. Either I'm getting bound or the thought's getting bound. And we have to step into action and remember that we have more power than the enemy wants to make us believe that we do. I'm really thankful that you pointed out for like first you you can validate the gravity of your situation especially if it's a really hard time. And I think the differentiation between that because I think you're right there are I think sometimes in the attempt to take the thought captive or fight the lies we also as a result deny the very real human experience yeah. and feelings that that hardship brings up or that the challenge brings up. And so I think it's it, I guess what I'm hearing you say is it's both and. It's it's not either or. It's not don't feel your feelings because that's letting the enemy have a seat at your table. It's no, like you can say, I feel right now like I'm not going to make it. I know that's not true, but I feel like this is the hardest thing ever, or it is the hardest thing ever. And like first acknowledging that reality to then be able to turn around and say, but I also acknowledge like God's with me or God's going to pull me through. Like it can be both, but I think we tend to live in the extremes, especially as believers. I think we tend to go from one extreme to the other. 
And a lot of times I think we try to live in that place of fighting the lies so much that we don't actually deal with reality. We don't actually acknowledge the hard that actually exists because we just want to say the right things to convince ourselves to feel better when it's like, yes, speaking truth is important, but it has to be with the health. I think it has to be done in the way that kind of you described where it's healthy and it's it's acknowledging the hard, but also fighting the lies, not trying to just deny the hard by denying the lies. Does that make sense? It does. And I think that, you know, where we're coming from is, I don't know, it informs everything about us. And you and I don't know each other well, but I've written often about falling into a pit of depression over a decade ago that I didn't even know existed. You know, you hear people talk about struggles and you go, oh, that's that sounds terrible. But then when you're in a place that you've never been in and you don't know how you got in it and you're not sure if you're ever going to come out of it. I was in that place. I mean, for months, totally like out of commission. And I didn't understand anything about the struggle of depression, anxiety, panic attacks until that moment. And it hit me so hard that I I call myself an anxiety overcomer because it's still in my story. It broke me down and I still have the residue around me. And so when I'm talking about not giving the enemy a seat at your table or trying to encourage people the power of their mind and the power that they have to take back their thoughts, I'm not, you know, just spouting off stuff. I've been in the struggle and live in the struggle. And I think that it's acknowledging the the weight of the struggle that allows us to have a doorway into the possibility of what God can do. And it's not likely that, you know, someone's listening to us right now who's been struggling with terrible thoughts for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. It's not likely that they're going to have a completely, you know, new experience when they wake up in the morning. Just a 180 is going to happen because they heard this conversation. But if it can encourage them that here's a guy that's been down in this hole and been in this darkness and been in a place where I didn't know if God was ever going to come through. I didn't know if things were ever going to change. But they did. And God has sent me to be a messenger to somebody today to say, you're going to make it through this. Um, You are going to make it through this. And I know everything in the circumstance is saying otherwise right now. I, I understand that. But God is still in the story. And if God is in the story, then there's still another side and God's going to bring you through somehow, some way. And I think that, you know, Jordan is is the other it's the balance to don't give the enemy a seat at your table. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not a little slogan and a little spiritual quip. It's it's just the fruit of coming through the battle and knowing that God is bigger than depression. And so let's do acknowledge anxiety. It's real. Let's do acknowledge depression. They're real, but let's don't give them the microphone and end up saying the word anxiety more than we say the word Jesus. Mm. Let's say I am struggling with anxiety, but I'm going to keep talking about Jesus even in the middle of this battle and this struggle. And I'm not going to put anxiety up on a pedestal and give it a throne to sit on. I'm I am going to keep God on that throne and I'm going to keep hope in him no matter what the circumstance. I, I really love how you shared that. And it reminded me of something that I was told in a healthcare setting, surprisingly, and like kind of a, it was actually a chiropractor's office, but he had said something and it kind of reminds me of what you're talking about. He said, so often people come in here with ailments, they come in here with thyroid issues or, you know, some sort of health issue. And they, they describe it like my thyroid is, you know, not working right. Or my back is having this problem. 
And he's like, and I understand like naturally it is your thyroid, right? But he said, but so often like what starts to happen is subconsciously they start to like identify with the struggle. They start to own it as like their issue, their thing. And it's so hard because it gets stuck in your mind, like my body is broken in this way or whatever. So it was kind of a, a conversation about just like renewing your mind and like not necessarily identifying with whatever might be happening to you physically. But with what you're saying, it's like, that's also true with whatever struggle you may be walking through. I think we can be so quick to start to identify with the circumstance, with the hardship, with the pain, with the anxiety, with the loss, whatever our story has been marred by in recent months or years. And that's creating pain or struggle. Like we can get so like, it almost was what you were saying. Like you get so fixated on it that you start giving it a microphone. It almost starts to become this like little mini God in your life because it takes up so much of your mental real estate and energy. And I think we subconsciously can begin to identify with those things to where they start taking up more and more and more space. And then sometimes because pain can't be ignored, right? That's part of it. But also the more energy that you give to it and the more you give it a microphone, the more that you identify with it, the harder it is to shift away and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and more than just the struggle. Well, I mean, I, you know, it's just simple as what you feed grows. Mm -hmm. And if you feed that negative thought, it's going to grow. And if you starve it, it's going to shrink. And if you feed that positive thought, and I'm not talking about, you know, happy thoughts, I'm talking about the true thing, the right thing, the good thing, the praiseworthy thing, the godly thing. If you feed that positive thought, it's going to grow. And I just, I think so often we, I I hate to use the word because it sounds like I'm, I'm trying to coach everybody up and I'm really not, but I think sometimes we're just lazy and we don't want to put the energy into reshaping our thought. And feeding the the good thought. We just, it's easier just to say, you know, I'm this way because of this, you know, I worry because my mom worried. Um, and that's just, we're kind of a worrying family, you know, that's where I come from. And it it's like, I, I come, I'm talking about me right now. I come from a, you know, we won Olympic medals and worrying in our family, you know, my mom and dad are gone now, but good Lord, they could worry with anybody. And so, yes, I come from a worrying family. So I have a tendency to worry because of my conditioning. It's true. That's me. That's really me. But at the same time, I'm in a different family also. I've been born again. And I know I'm not trying to be spiritual. I'm not trying to give people slogans. I'm just saying I've been born again. And I, when I was born again, I was born again of the spirit. And when I was born of the spirit, I got a new father and he's not a worrier. I got uh, Jesus and he's not a worrier. I was born of Christ and he's not a worrier. And I was born of the spirit and the spirit's not a worrier because the fruit of the spirit, one of them isn't worry. (laughs) So (laughs) if I'm worrying, then I'm, I'm living in my earthly family conditioning and I'm not living in my new family conditioning. And that's probably because I was being lazy and I just didn't want to put the energy into getting into God's word and getting God's word into me because mm-hmm. you don't fight these negative thoughts by, you know, putting on boxing gloves and punching them out. You fight them just by putting the right thoughts in your mind mm-hmm. and dwelling on things that are true. And so feed what you will, but just remember what you feed is going to grow and what you starve is going to ultimately die. Mm-hmm. And I say we get about feeding these good thoughts and feeding our mind good thoughts and letting these other things starve a little bit. 
Did you see? My new book, Embrace Your Almost, is officially out in the world, and I can't believe it's available to you anywhere books are sold. You can grab it from Amazon or Target or Barnes & Noble or Books A Million. There's some special editions out there, too. Target has an exclusive edition. Barnes & Noble and Books A Million both have signed editions. And you can also get it at local independent bookstores. Anywhere books are sold, you should be able to find it. So if you are walking through a season of unmet expectations or disappointment or broken dreams or waiting or uncertainty, this book will bless your life. If you are not in one of those seasons, but you're just not entirely sure what's next for you, this book will bless your life. And if you have a loved one or a friend or a sister who's walking through a season like that, who's dealing with unmet expectations or broken dreams or uncertainty or waiting, this book will be such a great gift for her or something to pass on to her. So if that sounds like something you need or something a loved one in your life needs, grab a copy. Grab a copy from Amazon. Grab a copy from Barnes & Noble, from Target, from anywhere books are sold. I cannot wait to hear what you think. And I cannot wait to not only get this message in your hands, but also for you to pass on this message and share it because I believe it's more than a message. It's a movement. So as you listen, as you go about your day, I would love for you to put it in order, grab a copy, and start reading as soon as it arrives at your door. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. With two little kids, I do most of my shopping online now, but it can be so hard to shop for things like clothes online because I never know if I'm getting good quality until it arrives. The game changer, upgrading to high quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next, and I stayed on budget. Quince has so many options to choose from, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. One of my favorite items from Quince is the silk pajamas I got. They are so high quality, luxury pajamas, but not at a luxury price tag. And I just feel like they don't even compare to some of the other pajamas that I have bought online or that I've bought um, just at various different stores. And like, these are incredible. (laughs) Indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash she for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash she to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash she. Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for- 
one membership matching program. You join and they give. I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low-tox and non-tox ingredients, and it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price, I should add. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. Yeah. And I think that that's such a challenge too, when you have in your life, like let's say you're afraid of something going wrong in one circumstance or another, and that thought just seems to like take over your mind. I think what really becomes challenging too is like you said, replacing those thoughts. It's not to say that that fear isn't valid, especially if you have experienced something in the same area of your life. If you've had your heart broken four times before, it's yeah. it's natural to be concerned that that might happen again. You know, the next time you open your heart up, or if you've gone through a lot of loss or you've had multiple health issues, like if you've already experienced what in this circumstance of your life feels like the worst case scenario, it kind of informs the way you view the future. Would you say that you agree with that? Like your past kind of warps your ability to be present and still because you're constantly like it truly like forecasts the future for you i think in some ways and that it almost like amplifies those fears that are naturally already there when you've already experienced something like that and it can be really hard to start replacing those thoughts with truth and i think the way i've always heard it is when i when i've thought like oh i've got to replace my my negative thoughts with positive thoughts for a while i wanted to like make it per- like pertain to the circumstance like no it will work out and god can and he will or whatever and i think what i've had to shift is my understanding of it's not necessarily just like positive thoughts or truth about what may or may not happen in this specific area that i'm worried about but like the bigger overarching truth of like what is true what is good what is noble what is holy like what is bigger than just this little thing that i'm worried about or this specific circumstance that i'm i'm experiencing fear with does that make sense like yeah, it does. And I think for me, you know, you do have to elevate and ultimately elevating is going back to the garden mm-hmm. and asking what what was the enemy undermining on day one? Mm-hmm. He was undermining the character of God. Mm-hmm. Can God be trusted? And he was putting the seed in Adam and Eve's minds that God was holding out on them. And he didn't want something good for them, that there was something better than what he was giving them. And so he was attacking God's character as trustworthiness. Mm -hmm. Can he be counted on? And I think for me, that's where I want to elevate. And that's the thought I want to continue to strengthen is the character of God. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if we're really honest, uh, some of the circumstances aren't going to ever change. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we are going to go through this entire journey on earth with some of the pain that we have. We're going to carry the scars that we have, some of the brokenness. Some things are not going to get resolved on this earth. They're not going to get put back together on this earth. Some things are gone. They are literally gone and they're not coming back in this life. And so those those are the doorways through which the enemy quickly comes and says, I told you you couldn't count on God. I told you you couldn't trust him. I told you that he wasn't dependable. His character is not good. Look at what has happened and it's not coming back. And so how do we how do we do that? This is an important question. How do we continue to bolster our confidence in the character of God? I believe it's going back to one place and it's the most significant moment in history. And it's the moment that Jesus gave himself for us. Mm -hmm. And when we go to that place, and that's a real place, it's history. 
It's not just a Bible story. It really happened in history. Historians have written about it, not Christian historians. The Roman historians wrote about it. The Jewish historians wrote about it. A man named Jesus died on a cross. Mm -hmm. But I believe the reason he died was because of the character of God. Mm -hmm. And when he died, it proved to me that no matter what the circumstance or situation, God's heart for me is good. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that to overcome ultimately, you just have to lock onto the cross and never let go. You have to meditate on it, marinate on it, sit in it until it sits in you. And it is enough. It's strong enough to A, show me that on the worst day, God can still do something good. It shows me that God loves me before I even knew who he was. It shows me that he was willing to give everything he had for me. I mean, he knows what it means to lose a child. For me, he knows that. And so how do I know I can trust God when it's dark? And when circumstances are not working out, uh, I go back to the cross to the most important day in my life and in history. And I remember again that God is good. You know, it's interesting that you share that because my husband and I have walked through an interesting journey the last few years. And I've, I've questioned that a lot personally. And we've had some interesting conversations. And I asked him, I finally just like put my question out there. I was like, with the whole, like, I, I kind of, how did I word this? I want to make sure I say it in the way that I did. But basically, I was asking, you know, okay, but there were other people who were crucified. Like, I understand it was a big deal and it was for our sake, but like, there were other people who died on a cross. So, like, what's the differentiator? And I said, I, I know it, but I don't know it. And I don't know how to put words to it. And he said something that just like simplified it for me. And it made complete sense. It's like the reason God is so trustworthy is, is because not only did Jesus is like human body, die on the cross. Like he was separated from God. Like he, that was the ultimate punishment. It wasn't just the physical beating. It wasn't just the like death of his earthly body. It was the fact that he was separated from God on our behalf as the perfect sacrifice. And that like was the part that I think I had always kind of missed, even though I knew, you know, in some ways and knowing like that God would be willing to be separated, not just lose the earthly body of his son, but like truly be separated for our behalf or on our behalf from his son. Like there was that, I don't know. I think that just brings so much more depth because we always hear about the cross, especially as believers. And I think we can get used to hearing about that. And when you, when you think about it in that context, it makes it just makes it so much bigger and it takes the like, oh yeah, I've heard this a million times out of it. It makes it, does that make sense? I don't know if I'm saying that well, but that was something that really like opened my eyes to the trustworthiness of God, even beyond just what I'd always heard about the cross. Yeah. Well, it's, it's hard for us to fathom really, you know, the separation and for Jesus himself to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. And when we see Jesus the night before in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying this agonizing prayer, such to to degree that he's sweating blood under the stress of the moment mm -hmm. and he's saying if if it's possible let this cup pass from me and the cup he's referring to i don't think in the context of it is the cross the physical cross mm -hmm. the nails and the fist to the face and the thorn uh, the crown of thorns what he's wanting to pass from him is the sin of humanity that he's about to take on his yeah. life he he became, the scripture says, sin on our behalf. God made him who knew no sin, this is Second Corinthians, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So it wasn't that he was just nailing him to a cross. It was that he was becoming our sin. And that's the cup he wanted 
to pass if there was any way. He didn't want to become a villain. He didn't want to become a rebel. He didn't want to become an insulter of God. But he chose to do that and take on all of that. And the magnitude of that is something that, honestly, I don't think we can fully comprehend. And we can't comprehend what it would mean for his father to have to turn away from him because he had become our sin. Mm -hmm. And uh, But again, you flip it around and you go, but when the father turned away from him because of our sin on him, it meant that the father could turn towards us Mm -hmm. because now we could come and know him through the righteousness of Christ. And so... It's, you know, when he turned away from Jesus that day, he turned toward me Mm. and he could come now with mercy and forgiveness and put his arms around me and call me a son. And so it's powerful. I don't, I don't ever intend to get over it. I think we'll still be remembering it long into every day of eternity. Even in eternity, they said to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, to the lamb. What does that mean? It means to the one who took on uh, that role of becoming a sacrifice for all of us. Praise God. Yeah. No, I, I. it's so true. And it is so powerful. And I think that's where I started to catch myself feeling like for the first time, I was like, but I've heard this a million times. Like what? And just that kind of what you just dug into really the, it really wasn't the physical cross that was the cup. Like that alone is, you know, horrific, but it was the whole other weight that we sometimes I think can gloss over if we don't explain it. And that's something I was like, man, I feel like that needs to be just discussed more, especially when we're talking about that, because it does give us such a bigger understanding of the magnitude because we can't even really wrap our brains around it. That's how big it is. It does bring us back to, okay, then God can be trusted, you know? But I wanted to dig into that a little bit because it's something I've personally wrestled with. And I just wonder if others maybe kind of ask those questions or wonder the same thing. So I'm thankful for the way that you shared that. The last question I want to dig into is kind of actually really relevant to what we're talking about right now. But I just want to talk about the thoughts and emotions that come up when we face really challenging, really challenging circumstances and begin to feel that God is distant or not present in the mess of it, maybe not answering our prayers. I think it can be really common to start to wonder, well, what's the point of prayer? Like it's not going to change anything anyway. Or we may begin to feel anger or doubt as we question if God is even working or what he's doing. And I'm just curious, like, in light of this conversation about is God trustworthy and all of that, in those difficult seasons, how can we address the thoughts and emotions that come up and really find peace even in the midst of those really, really hard things? Well, I think that we have to rely on history. And maybe someone doesn't have a point in their life that God ever was good or he ever came through, but most people do. And I think when I don't see God working, I have to remember times where he did. And I have to remember things that he's brought me through. You know, I went through, our family went through a really challenging season where my dad was disabled almost overnight through a really terrible brain virus. And he he literally never went back to work. He never played golf again. He never drove a car again. He never dressed himself again. Um, and for seven years, he was in that condition and everything we prayed, the opposite happened. I mean, it was just crazy. You know, we would just say, dear Lord, we need this to happen. And then the other thing would happen, or we need to have this outcome and we'd get the other outcome. And then eventually after seven years of that, my dad died of a heart attack one day, unrelated to his disability. And he was gone. And I have to, you know, if I'm honest, (laughs) I didn't get hardly any of that. And I did not get the outcome we hoped for. My dad's spiritual condition wasn't what I was hoping for. 
the kind of conversations we were having about God at the end of his life were not what I was hoping for. None of it. And I can't say to anyone listening today, even as a pastor, let me explain why all that happened. Mm -hmm. But there have been some unbelievable things that have happened since then that are either the greatest coincidence in the history of the world, Mm -hmm. or they're God's way of giving me a little tiny glimpse into the fact that he is bigger than the circumstance and that he is working we, you know, we sang this song a lot of the last few years in the global church, Waymaker, even when I don't see it, you're working, even when I don't feel it, you're working. And I believe that. I'll tell you one quick story. So this event that we just did in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, we've done a few events in stadiums in Atlanta, the old Georgia Dome where the Falcons football team used to play. They tore it down and now there's a new Mercedes-Benz Stadium where the Falcons play. And we, I think, maybe did three events in the old stadium, and we've done two now in the new one. And on two occasions of those events, what happened a few months ago happened, once back at the Dome and once at the Benz. And what happened was on the night that we moved in, that we started our load-in, which is a multi-day process of covering the field with this plastic surface and then building a gigantic stage and putting in all this production, takes several days before the event starts. Well, we loaded in the night after a college bowl game, a football game between Pitt and Michigan State, and it was the Peach Bowl. And as soon as the game ended, they got everything out of the stadium. Our team came in and we put the plastic down or the people at the stadium did over everything that was painted on the field. And uh, we had a stage thrust at the middle. So when I was speaking at this event a few months ago, I was speaking at the 50-yard line center field. And underneath it was the sponsor logo of the Peach Bowl, uh, still painted on the field, literally four feet under my feet was a logo painted on the AstroTurf under the plastic. Mm -hmm. And here we are at Passion, this movement that was born out of Shelly and me leaving our ministry in Texas to come to Georgia to help my mom take care of my dad. And as we transitioned, our entire life left 10 years of ministry behind, moved to Atlanta. When we got here, my dad died of a heart attack. And here we are in the fog and in the crazy and in the, God, we don't know what you're doing. And in that little window of time, God birthed the vision for Passion Conference. Mm. In the two months after my dad's heart attack, God gave us a vision for Passion. And here we are now, 20-something years later, Mm. I'm standing in a stadium on top of a logo that just happens to be the Chick-fil-A logo because it's the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And it just so happens my dad created the Chick-fil-A logo in 1964. And when I walked up the steps, Jordan, onto that stage, it was as if God, my heavenly father, was, was walking up the steps beside me saying, you go, son. Did he, did he explain? Was there a, an angel with a clipboard saying, hey, let me explain what happened to your dad and all that? No. But it was just God saying, I'm in this. Mm-hmm. And it's, it would be the greatest coincidence in the world that two times you would stand in a stadium on top of your father's logo. Mm-hmm. And and speak to, to the movement that was born out of your father's disability and death. I can't piece it all together. I'm not trying to make uh, I'm not trying to make sense of it all. I'm just telling you that God is in it all, mm-hmm. and 
it just gives me confidence when I go back again to the cross, where if you were at the cross that day and you were a follower of Jesus, you would have said, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen, and God cannot be in this. And three days later, you said, oh, my word, God is amazing. And so that's my story. And I that that cross and resurrection, that's the heart of my story. And I have to keep going back there and remembering, and we all do, and no matter what circumstance we're in, that God God not only can work, but He is working. Mm -hmm. And there will be a day, I fully believe it, and I'm not kicking the can down the road, but I fully believe there will be a day when everything is made clear. And I don't believe anyone is going to accuse God on that day of not being good and not having a plan. He's working with a broken world for crying out loud. And he's working with people who make terrible decisions on the regular. And he somehow still is using all of that to produce amazing, eternal, great things in our lives. And I believe he's working no matter what the circumstance around us. Yeah. No, I thank you for sharing that. It's so powerful and it's so true. Like it just reminds me that it's so tough to see the forest through the trees. I think that's the phrase. <laughs> <laughs> Always get that one wrong. I don't know how it works. Well, you know, from the The trees for the forest and the forest for the trees. Yeah, one way or the other. It's hard to get the it's hard to see the full picture, right? Like yeah. we are in the thick of it. And so we only see the circumstances that surround us. And we look at some things and we look at certain outcomes or you know, why, why did I pray this? If it was just going to go this way and all of those things. And, you know, we, we have such a limited perspective and logically there are things that we would argue that doesn't make sense. God, why would you do that? That seems really unjust or really unloving or really unkind. And maybe that specific, you know, situation really felt that way or feels that way, but we can't see the the bigger picture at work. And I think that's the hardest part because we want to see that, you know, when we think we have understanding, we think we have perspective for one reason or another, but it's really so limited. And I think that's the biggest thing I have to keep coming back to for me personally, when I find myself in those places where I'm just like, what are we doing here, God? You know, like, yeah. I'm so, I'm just so confused. And just honestly, coming back, like you said, to where you've seen his faithfulness before in ways that almost didn't make sense, but also looking at history and also just remembering like our mind can only comprehend what's directly in front of us. And it may seem really bad and it may be really bad, but it also may not be the end of the story either. It's some, it's part of something so much bigger. And it just feels, I think, sometimes like the end of the road for us when we're in the middle of it. But then when we can zoom out or so many years pass and there's these full circle moments or there's these coincidences that are almost too much of a coincidence to be a coincidence, we can start seeing that like picture he's weaving together, even though it looks really messy from where we sit. And I think that's the thing to hold on to in the midst of it all, because otherwise you really can begin to spiral and and lose that sense of trust. And that's the only thing that can really keep us grounded and keep us going when everything else around us seems to be going wrong. Um, And our thoughts just want to spiral into the negative. So I really appreciate you sharing all of that. It's so good. Yeah, I want to go back to something you said real fast too earlier. You talked about having people who can see uh, maybe what, what in a situation like we're talking about where we can't see. And I think... So, so many times we invite people to our table who just repeat what the enemy is already telling us and they are commiserators. And we need people like my friend who said, I'm not going to commiserate with you. I want to help wake you up in this moment. Mm-hmm. So our table, who's at our table is important and community is so important because, you know, there are probably people listening to us right now and they're in a very, very hard spot. And typically that causes us to withdraw. And all of a sudden now we're sitting at our house 
by ourselves, repeating the story to ourselves. And we need each other. We need community. We need to step out, but we don't just need people. We need people who will speak life and who will bear our burden and bear the weight and the pain and the sorrow, but who at the same time will help us frame a good story, a true story, a God story. And remember that he's painting on a canvas, as you say, that's way bigger than we can see. Or imagine when my dad died, I, my mom ended up moving pretty soon after, and I was cleaning out their coat closet in the townhouse that they lived in. And in the back of it was this part of this abstract painting that had been back there for years. And I totally forgotten about the day that we took this giant piece of art my dad did and uh, made it smaller because my mom hated it. And it was literally life the life-size painting of a magician and my mom didn't like anything about it and so my dad and I took it out on the patio and he cut about two feet off the bottom of it and then cut about six or eight inches off the side of it reframed it put it back up and we stuck the big part in the coat closet because it's the part that had his name signed on it and so when we're moving I'm like oh my gosh this is the bottom of the abstract magician which is up there at the top of the stairs on the landing and so I took it and got it framed and it's in my study right now behind my desk, the part we cut off. Uh, the bigger thing is downstairs in our house, but the little thing is upstairs and people would walk in. It used to be in another office I had and they'd be like, man, that's that's weird. What is that? It looks like someone threw up on your wall. And I'd be like, <laughs> that's the bottom of a painting my dad did before he was disabled and didn't do, do art anymore. And then they'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry I said that. I say, no, it's okay. When I look at it, I see the whole painting Mm -hmm. and I see the whole story. When you look at it, you just see the bottom of something that got cut off. And in life, we're mostly looking at the bottom of stuff that gets cut off. And we got to remember God's painting on a lot bigger canvas than we can see or imagine. Yeah. Oh, such a good visual. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I'm going to come back to that because I'm always thinking, well, I can't see the whole path because I'm I'm walking on it, you know, but that visual is true. Like he's painting such a bigger picture and we're getting like the little corner, you know, from our perspective, but yeah. the corner seems huge because we're tinier than that. And so it just seems like that's the whole story. And so zooming out and kind of keeping that in mind and coming back to that example, I know will be a beneficial thing for me and so many others. Louis, this has been so great. I'm so... I'm just so thankful to have your wisdom and to get this time with you. I'd love if you can share where everyone can learn more from you and also get your book, Don't Let the Enemy Have a Seat at Your Table. Yeah. So the book's available anywhere that you buy books, uh, Amazon or any anywhere else. Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. and has a companion guide called At the Table with Jesus, which is a 66-day devotion. So if we don't want the enemy at our table, we certainly do want Jesus at our table. So I took Dr. Leaf's 66-day neural pathway idea, Hmm. and we did a 66-day devotion that teaches us something about Jesus every single day. Those are available anywhere. And louisgiglio.com is kind of a good uh, landing spot. It'll link you to Passion City Church. You can find our messages there on our YouTube channel, link you to the books and resources and keep you in touch with what's going on with Passion Conferences also. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for everything you shared. We will link all of that in the show notes. You guys go check out his book and be sure to tune into all that he shares. It's so encouraging and helpful. Thank you again for being here. It's been such an honor. Thanks, Jordan. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley 
and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content, and it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.